So last Sunday morning, one of the things we said as we're looking at 2021 is that we wanted to have a greater sense of connection with God, a deeper connection with God. And one of the things we said that would help to that end was regular time in the Word, reading God's Word, thinking about God's Word every day, meditating on Scripture. And so last week we encouraged you to be involved in this daily reading plan. Uh, if you're watching online right now, uh, you can get a copy of that daily reading plan by going onto our website and looking at the Vision tab. Uh, and there the booklet we passed out last week is available. The very last part of that book, the last page, is that reading plan. If, if you today don't have a, a reading plan, you can get one as you leave uh, today as well. And so last week we began reading and spending time uh, in God's uh, Word. And in tandem with that Bible reading plan, uh, we're beginning a new message series today that John said, uh, already mentioned, and we're calling this, the series Word Power. And we're looking at the importance and the power of the Word of God. And one of the ways that we can come to understand its power is by looking at the pictures that are described in Scripture that, that help us to see this power. Oftentimes when I'm, when I'm involved in a new member processes and we're at looking at the section, what do we believe? And especially what do we believe about the Bible? I will say... We believe what the Bible says about itself. And so that begs the question, what does the Bible say about itself? And one of the ways we get at that question is by looking at these images or pictures in Scripture. So for instance, Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23 and Jesus in John chapter 8 and verse 11 describes the word as a seed. Now think for just a second about the power of a little seed. That seed is planted in the ground and it bursts up from the ground something far more beautiful. It's amazing the power in a little seed. Or James, the Lord's brother, in James chapter 1, he describes the Word of God as a mirror. That, that when you look in that mirror, you begin to see truth. And for some of us, when we look in that mirror, that's kind of a scary truth. We look into that mirror and we see every line and every wrinkle, every new gray hair. Some of us aren't sure we want that kind of truth. But, but the, the power of the scripture is as we look in that word, we see ourselves. We understand something about God, something about the world. Or the word is like a lamp. David in Psalm 119 helps us to understand this. It's like we're walking along a dark path. We need a lamp to brighten the way. How many of us have gotten up in the middle of the night and we're stumbling around and we find a Lego, we step on a Lego that our kids have left there like a booby trap for us. And you've probably had that experience. It creates a lot of pain. We need light in a dark house or even in a dark world. Or the Bible is like fire. The prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 9, he describes how, how the word can burn away chaff. Or like today, the Hebrew preacher, he helps us to understand that the word is like a sword that pierces. All of those images say something about the power of this word. This word is incredibly powerful, and I don't say that glibly. Now, as we begin today... I'd like to do a little thought experiment. 
I would like for you to try to imagine a world, and this is impossible, but I'd like for you to try to imagine a world where there's no Bible, a world where there's no biblical principles at work. That kind of world would be the sort of world we see at the end of the book of Judges in Judges chapter 21 and verse 25 where it says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. You could say, in a sense, this experiment has already been tried. Some of you in this room are old enough, others of you are not, but some of you in this room are old enough to remember the former communist regime known as the Soviet Union. Fascinating thing about that that country or that confederation was that it had as one of its official objectives the elimination of existing religion and the goal of state atheism. It was the goal. And when communists were in charge, you may recall, Bibles were confiscated, Christians were persecuted, churches were closed, and there's huge church facilities and suddenly they became museums to atheism. And after many years of this thinking, of this philosophy, did things get better and brighter and more wonderful for that country? No, it birthed a cold, dark, hopeless, lifeless existence. And when the Berlin Wall fell in 1989, and I still remember that moment, it was just, it was like out of the blue. Who knew this was happening? You knew that there were some people massing on the border of, of East Berlin, in East Berlin, but I didn't see it coming that the wall was going to fall. When the Berlin Wall fell in 1989, sudden, suddenly people were hungry for the Bible. And Bibles were, started, were, were entering into Russia and other places. They wanted Bibles. Now, interestingly, when the Cold War began years and years ago, there was a ministry in the Churches of Christ called Eastern European Missions. And its central mission was to get Bibles into Soviet Union and into other Eastern Bloc countries. And, of course, now those Bibles are welcomed in. But back in the day, you had to smuggle Bibles in. There's all kinds of stories about how this happened. A friend of mine by the name of Daryl Willis works for Eastern European Missions today. And he sent me just this week. He didn't know I was preaching on this topic, so I think it's a God thing. But he sent me a story about their ministry and about someone whose life was impacted just because he received a Bible. Here's what he says. This person was a young person when he got a hold of a copy of the Bible. I mean, we assume everybody has Bibles, but in still a lot of parts of the country, people, uh, world, people don't have Bibles. So here's what this person wrote. When I was 16 and felt like my life, I felt like my life had lost all meaning, I got hold of a Bible and learned to find joy in my life again. I learned to turn to God in both difficult times and times of rejoicing. Had it not been for this book, I would have become an addict or would have ended it all. He said, had it not been for this book, he said, my life would have been far different. And some of you could tell your own personal stories about how when you began to read this word seriously, when you began to study the scriptures, it began to have a profound impact on your life. And so the passage that I want us to think about for just a moment or two today uh, is out of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. And, and the Hebrew preacher says this, 
For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Now, at the very beginning, we need to ask kind of a basic question. It might seem obvious to you, but, but I want us to think about it for just a second. And that is, when we read the phrase, Word of God, to what does that refer? You see, it could refer to those times in Scripture when God is speaking directly to someone. This past week in our Bible reading, we were in Exodus chapters 3 and 4 on Thursday, if you're tracking with us. And in those chapters, it's the story of where Moses is in front of a burning bush, and from that bush, God speaks. But you have these moments in Scripture where God speaks directly to people. One of those is found in the New Testament. Jesus is baptized. He comes up out of the water, and God speaks. God says, this is my son whom I I love. With him, I am well pleased. And so sometimes when we see the phrase word of God, it's referring to the times when God speaks directly to someone. At other times, the word of the Lord comes through one of the prophets. God is speaking through someone else. You see this phrase in the Old Testament, and really it's a powerful phrase. You see it a lot. It's the phrase, thus says the Lord. Remember that phrase? And so a prophet will speak And you'll see this phrase, thus says the Lord. That statement carries a lot of weight. It's saying this prophet is not speaking on his own. This is not just his word. No, this is God's word. Sometimes when we read the phrase word of God, it it refers to Jesus himself. You might recall how the gospel of John begins. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. You see, Jesus is the living Word of God. He is God incarnate. And still other times when we read this phrase, Word of God, it refers, it refers to this. It refers to the 66 books contained in this volume we know as the Bible. In Hebrews 4.12, when it says, for the Word of God is alive and active, it's talking about this book. And so uh, I want to say something that uh, a lot of times we just might merely assume, but, but I don't want to assume it. Because this word is, is from God, this word has authority. This word is not my word or your word. It's God's word. It has authority. Maybe we would all, you know, we're in church and we've all got Bibles. Uh, statistically, it says that every household has something like 3.7 Bibles, you know, in their home at some place. So we don't, you know, it's not like we don't have access to Bibles in this country. We do. And so maybe you're nodding in agreement. Yes, this word has authority. But here's the question. What do you do when the Bible contradicts what you want to be true? Friends, when we think about life, how it's to to be lived, it starts by understanding this word has authority. You see, this word has authority over my life because, because it's God's word. The Lord gets the final say, not culture, not what I think, not what you think, not our feelings. What gets the final say is God's word. You see, it's so easy 
to love the word until it contradicts something in my life. It's easy to love the word of God until we find ourselves out of sync with the culture. This is not merely just a good book. We'll hear that from time to time. Folks will say, what, what about the good? I love the good book. This is not just a good book. It's God's book. And so because of that, he has the authority. This word has authority over my life, but the Hebrew, also, Hebrew preacher also says something else. He says, this book is different than any other book because it is alive. Listen again to the bold declaration that the Hebrew preacher makes. He says this, for the word of God is alive. Now here's the interesting thing. If you could read Greek, in your Greek New Testament, the first word in verse 12 is the word alive or living, almost as if to make that point more powerful. This word has life in itself. It pulses with life. This book is not a collection of fables or ancient history from some bygone era that might have some kind of moral meaning. This book is not some quaint text. This is not, as I said, just a good book. This is God's book. This is the living word of God. When I'm sitting down with new members and we're having this conversation, so what do we believe about the Bible? One of the verses that I often point out is that verse you've heard me quote before because it was the first two verses I ever learned to quote as a kid, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, where Paul, as he writes to his young protege Timothy, says, all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness that the man or woman of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, I really like that first phrase and I like how newer translations, I just quoted the King James, but I like how newer translations quote that very first phrase where it says, for the word of God is inspired, um, more, uh, your newer translations will render it, render it is God-breathed. And that's literally what the Word says. It's God-breathed. It's theo for theology, God. Neustos, a word that means wind, breath, or spirit. So literally, this book is God-breathed. This book is unlike any other book ever written because it has the breath of God. I'll never forget when I was sitting in a, a class. I took the last two classes when I was finishing my MDiv from Columbia Theological Seminary in Atlanta. And uh, the professor wasn't much older than I was at the time. He had a PhD from Princeton. Interestingly, he had some restoration movement uh, background. Um, and I'll never forget something he said when he was talking about this book. He says, this book, the Bible, is inspiring. And I thought, yes, it is, but, and he didn't continue the statement. I wanted him to say, this, this book is inspiring, but also understand it is inspired. This is the very word of God. But the Hebrew writer tells us even more. He says, for the word of God is alive. And notice he uses the word active. This word is effective. It's dynamic. 
It's powerful. It's active. And in order to help us understand how active it was, he paints a picture in our minds that we should never forget. He says it's, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It's like a sword, and it cuts deeply. That's, that's how powerful and active this word is. And so God, like a finely uh, a trained surgeon, uses the word as a scalpel to do heart surgery on us. That's what happened in Acts chapter 2. When Peter was standing in front of thousands of people on that day we know as the day of Pentecost. And he preached this message and it slowly began to dawn on the people that, that this one they saw who was crucified, this one that they knew was raised on the third day, this one truly is both Lord and Christ. They put him on the cross. They were complicit. And then it says... In verse 37 of Acts 2, they were cut to the heart. This this word was so active, it reached in and was beginning to do surgery on the hearts of that Jewish crowd that day. This word is active. It's continually working. In the Old Testament, God speaking through the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 11, my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I have sent it. It's active because of the work of the Holy Spirit. This word of God is a tool or implement in the hands of the Spirit. You may recall in Ephesians chapter 6, what a beautiful book. You come to the last chapter in Ephesians, and there Paul wants us to imagine we're going into battle. He wants us to imagine that that we're going up against the evil one, and he wants us to be prepared. He doesn't want us to, to not have on all the armor that we need. And so he talks about having the breastplate of righteousness and he talks about the the shield of faith and he talks about the, the helmet of salvation. And then he says you need to take up the sword of the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, he says, which is the Word of God. The sword, this Word is what the Holy Spirit will use to perform surgery in our lives. And then the verse ends, the Hebrew writer ends this way. He says, it penetrates even to the dividing of joints and and marrow, soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and intents of the heart. What, What is the preacher saying here? He is saying this divine word cuts through everything that is in us. No part of us can escape its sharp edge. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And we know that the heart really is something that's pretty complex. In the Old Testament, it will be described as something that's deceitful, can't trust it. When we lived in Atlanta a number of years ago, we would often pass through that intersection. It's where uh, I-85 and and 285 come together. 
And it really is a monstrosity of 21st century engineering. And if you have ever lived in Atlanta, maybe you've even heard of it, it's called Spaghetti Junction. And this is a picture of it you're seeing right now. And now contrary to what that looks like, it is a pretty efficient hub of transportation. Unless you're passing through this area between the hours of 4 and 6 p.m., and then it becomes um, a parking lot, multi-lane parking lot. And just about everybody in Atlanta has at one point driven through with a smile on their face and a song in their heart, only to drive through an hour later with a commitment to sell everything they own and move to the country. I mean, we, people have had that experience. But the good news is everyone eventually makes it out. The bad news is not a lot of people make it out with the same attitude they had before when they, when they entered that section of Scripture. Our heart is like spaghetti junction. Everything we experience is channeled through our heart. And the Word of God has the power to cut through our complex maze of thoughts and attitudes and perspectives and do surgery. It cuts through our pretensions, our hypocrisy, our facades. It judges. It is the critic of our thoughts that are often skewed and our intents that are often extremely selfish. Just a few moments ago, we saw that when Peter preached in Acts chapter 2, it says they were cut to the heart. And then I love the very next statement. Because they were so devastated, they were so impacted, they were cut so deeply that they said before the preacher said anything else, what do we do? What do we need to do? And so as we preach a sermon like this, it, it raises the question, so what do, we, what do we do? And the most obvious answer is, well, we should spend time in the Word of God. I know some of us say, well, I'm, I'm so busy. I hear people say that all the time. My life is so busy. I've got so much going on. I don't know that I have, I have time. What do we do with a sermon like this? Well, well, maybe we say, well, I'm going to make time. I'm going, to get a read. I'm going to get involved in the reading plan we're doing right now, or I'm going to get involved in another reading plan. I don't know what it is. I'm going to do something, but I'm going to make sure that every single day I'm opening the Word of God and I'm prayerfully considering what I hear God saying. And maybe even one step before that, before we even op open the Word of God, what we do is we say, Father Help me to see. We invite the Holy Spirit in so that the Holy Spirit will use this word as an implement to affect us in the deepest places. As we read and listen to God's word, the Spirit, I'm convinced, will do surgery in our hearts. He will cut at just the right place. I'll never forget when I was on a mission trip down in Guatemala just a couple of years ago, and I was there with George Robertson, and I was able to go into the actual surgical suite with George. I scrubbed in, I was standing there, and I was watching him do these complex surgeries. It was, it was wonderful, it was frightening, and it was incredible all at the same time. From time to time, George would say, well, hand me that over there. Well, what is that? Okay, and I'll never forget what George said to me at one point. He said, you know, it's just as important knowing we're not 
to cut as where to cut. The Holy Spirit knows just the right place to cut. He makes the perfect incision. He always goes deep enough. And as a finely trained surgeon, the Spirit will use the scalpel of His Word to ultimately bring healing and wholeness and health to an often divided and confused and uncertain heart. And so this morning, maybe you've come into this place and perhaps you've heard the word and maybe it's affected you in a deep place. I don't know what your response is. Perhaps your response is just sitting there saying, I'm, I'm going to be more committed to reading the Word, and I'm going to read it prayerfully. I'm going to say, God, let me. I need to see what you need for me to see. These aren't just words on a page. This is your divine Word. Or, or maybe, maybe some of you today are sitting here, it's, it's time for me, I'm distant from God, I'm far from Him. It's time for me to take that step of faith, as they did in Acts chapter 2. When 3,000 men and women on that day repented of their sins and were baptized in Jesus' name and they received the gift of the Holy Spirit and every sin was washed away. I don't know what your response would be, but if you have a response, we would love to help you. Come as we stand and as we sing this song.